Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 204 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We hope all of you are continuing to do well and are staying safe and healthy wherever you are. Uh, Coming up in this episode, we have a couple of roster moves. We learn where Alex O'Connell will play college basketball as soon as next season and an interview with one of the all-time Duke legends. But first, the intros. It is Donald here. I'm still in Charlotte, North Carolina, just up the road in Durham. I have Sam Klein. Sam, how you doing? How you holding up? I am doing okay. I am still at home in Durham alone. And well, I guess my my roommate is here, but but effectively alone. And it is Passover. So my diet is more limited. uh, But otherwise, everything is fine. I actually participated in a Seder um, just yesterday with uh, a few friends. So very um, nice. It was very, yeah, we could we, we could talk about that at the end of the show. That sounds fun. Yeah, um, but also in Atlanta, we have the resident ATLian, Jason Evans. Jason, what's up? Not a lot. Are we going to do seders later on? Because I did a thirty-three person Zoom seder last night, and Ooh, I will let you thirty-three people. I will let you guess who was the organizer, the captain of the seder, the person who is in charge of everything. You get two guesses. The first guess doesn't count. You're better I, half. Going, I, I don't have a guess. Me. I don't have a guess. I don't have a guess for your specific question, but I can guess who talked the most. Me. The answer to both questions <laughs> is Jason <laughs> Evans. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> We're starting out right here. Uh, okay, guys. First thing first, we had a couple of roster changes. First off, Patrick Tapay has recommitted to the Duke Blue Devils, which happened like two hours or so after we recorded the last episode. So in oh, the span of about yeah. By the way, uh-huh. have to massive shout out to Donald because when we were talking about this, we were saying, "Oh, Patrick Tapay, we hardly knew you. Um, he's decommitted," and I was all ready to say he's going someplace else. And Donald went ahead and said, "I guess he could still come back to Duke." I almost jumped in and said, "What are you talking about? There's that just doesn't happen. Guys don't decommit happen. and then re. It doesn't happen. Forget it. You know what else is right." <laughs> we don't get we don't get locked in our houses for months at a time because of a pandemic. So the the rules are the rules are completely out the window right now. I I said I I think I was along those lines, Jason. I said, all right, farewell. We, you know, we hold nothing against him. There's nothing wrong with that. And then I think like just a couple hours after we put that episode up online, because we're I, I think folks know we've been trying to coordinate the news with some of the guests that we've had on. We put that episode up, and then right after that, he mm-hmm. he recommits and he's back. The the thing I wanted to talk about on this is my I'm still confused because he committed, and we said, all right, maybe he knows that Matthew Hurt is leaving. We've discussed how Vernon Carey hasn't formally uh, left for the draft yet, but everyone expects him to. He's going to be a first round pick. He he was had an excellent season for Duke, etc. So maybe Patrick Tapay knows because the staff told him that Matthew Hurt is leaving, even though Matthew Hurt hasn't announced anything yet. And so therefore there's room for Tapay, not just on the roster, but in the rotation. Then he decommits. So maybe he got some other information and then he recommits right after that. And in that time frame, we have gotten no information, at least about big men in the Duke program. We obviously heard about Cassius Stanley the other day, but, but nothing on, on big men. Donald, what do you like? What, what happened? So I will say this. I, I mentioned this uh, on the last episode, uh, two, uh, episode 203. 
there have been times where guys have decommitted from a program only to recommit later on. Now, I will preface by normally it is guys who are high school seniors who have committed early to a program. And then they say, oh, I kind of want to reopen my commitment. They do that. They look around for a few weeks, a few months, and then they end up coming back to the program that they this committed was, to in the first place. But this week. this happened in the span of a week. This is unheard of. This part, literally eight sun cycles. I mean, there's no days now, but eight sun and cycles. Not only, he committed, and not only that, decommitted, and then recommitted. He's also still in his, presumably he's still finishing school at Columbia. So like while this was going on, he was in class and you know, I, I don't know the kid personally, but I'm assuming that if he's a senior at Columbia and that he hung around long enough, he's at least studious enough that he's still paying attention to his lectures, even if they're online. Right. So he was going yeah. through this whole process while he was still in the middle of his education. Guys, yeah. It's the, kind of wild. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, so the Intel here, what I've heard through sources, so to speak, not that Ooh. this is something, you know, not that these are like people in the anyway, program, get on but, with it. you know, anyway, the intel is that uh, he was concerned that he might not be good enough to really play a large role for Duke. And he decommitted because there were other programs that were saying to him, we have a, we have a big role for you. We know you can play here. And that the Duke coaches then spoke to Patrick some more and said to him, no, we really do see a role for you. Uh, you know, here is how we think you fit into our plans. Jason. Um, and, it, and it doesn't necessarily relate to whether or not Matthew Hurt is coming back. Um, you know, it's just completely separate from that. They, they said, here's the role we think you will have next year. And Patrick sort of looked at things and said, okay, I can, I, that makes sense. I can live with that. So I want to bottle up what you just said. I, I, and I don't want to, dispute the, uh, the 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 truth of the rumors that you've heard, but I would love to bottle that up and analyze it next year. Uh, we'll definitely be putting Patrick to pay minutes or something into the stats game because I, I, I mean, we we have no precedent for Duke taking graduate transfers. We don't know how he's going to perform in the ACC. We, we talked a little bit. If you want to go back to episode 202, you can hear our general preview of what we expect from him, but it was pretty rosy. Uh, relative to you know his his whole body of work, and so I'm excited to look forward in a year and say, oh yeah, sure, he played 15 minutes a game and averaged you know six points and eight rebounds. That's I'm I'm fine with that. Is that going to happen? Don't know. So yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see. So Javin, Del- I think a good comparison is Javin Delorier. I, I I would not be surprised to see Patrick Tapay play the same kind of role that Javin Delorier played this year about Javin played about 30% of the available minutes in games. Um, it wasn't a starter, but, but certainly there were some games where he was popping over 20 minutes, but most games he was in the, you know, the 10 to 14, 15 minute kind of range. I think that's probably what we can expect from Patrick to pay next year. And hopefully, but that means, that means that Mark more. Williams, that means that yeah. Mark Williams is ready to pay, play 20 to 25, maybe even 30 minutes a game. No, no, it's not. It means that Matthew Hurt is playing um, ostensibly the five for Duke a lot next year, which is what I think will be the case. I'm not saying that Matthew Hurt is going to plant his butt in the post the same way Vernon Carey did. That would be that would be stupid. That would be crazy. That would be not using what Matthew Hurt is really good at. But I think that you are going to see plenty of lineups most of the time next year. You're going to see Matthew Hurt 
as ostensibly the biggest guy on the floor for Duke. If not, if not somebody else who might be even smaller, right? Uh, you, you can see you can see Duke going small with someone like Jalen Johnson or even Joey Baker being the biggest guy on the team. I don't, given... about, I don't know about Joey Baker, but Jalen Johnson, Matthew Hurt and Jalen Johnson, who are both 6'9", are going to be the two biggest players for Duke more than 20 minutes a game. That's my prediction. And that's, I mean, obviously we don't know yet if Hurt is coming back. We, I'm operating the assumption of just kind of, there's, there's a big question mark there. Uh, but I think that will obviously alter what our depth looks like next year if Hurt does come back. Uh, and if he's not there, then that means that one of these guys, uh, one of these freshmen is going to need to be ready to play 25 to 30 minutes. But we will see uh, how that works out. But to pay, as of now, uh, this sun cycle that we're recording is a Duke Blue Devil, <laughs> and hopefully it stays that way. Well, he's, yep. still a, he's still a Columbia Lion for probably a few more weeks, but sure. Yeah, go graduate and then and then and then come to Durham safely once the stay-at-home orders are lifted. Okay, guys. Next up, we move to Cassius Stanley. Stanley announced a couple days ago that he will, in fact, declare for the 2020 NBA draft. There was probably a half a hope among some Duke fans that he would stick around for his sophomore season, but he instead will test himself at the next level. Uh, for me, he was an absolute joy to watch this year uh, with his freak athleticism and just the dunks that brought every house down that he ever stood in. Sam, what will you miss most about the man we call Cash? I, I think you took it right out of my mouth. The the high flying and the and the dunks. He was reminiscent of, and we we talked a lot about all the great Duke dunkers and how Cassius Stanley is right up there with guys like Gerald Henderson, Grant Hill. Um, we got a few emails about Ricky Price who I don't remember so well, but, but I will trust the collective wisdom of our, of our listeners. Those, those were good and, shouts. Oh yeah. Uh, so Cassius Stanley's just total athleticism. I'm not super surprised that he left. I feel like he showed a lot of potential this year and showed NBA ready athleticism. He's not an elite shooter yet. He's not an elite defender yet, but you can see those things coming for him. And so there wasn't a, ton more I feel like that he could have proved next year on a team that's going to have a lot of wings so even if he was going to be the best of them I don't know how much better he he was going to be he already shot 36 percent from three and 46 and 47 from the field pretty good numbers for for a freshman and not to mention that he's also old for his class so he's going to be I think he's 21 when the draft comes around. So I think I, that I think play had a lot to do with it. Is, is it definitely that. made sense to me that Stanley he said was that. Leaving. Yeah. He, he said in his com in his, when he left, he said that potential and age and youth had a lot to do with his decision-making. And look, when it's all said and done, we know that his dad is involved in the, in the sports industry. He's getting good knowledge, both from his family and from, from coach K and from Duke. So it seems like he's making the right decision for himself and, and we, we will miss him. I think the team would have been better with Stanley next year uh, than it will be without him, but uh, good luck to him and, and hope that he succeeds in the NBA. So I, I think when it comes to Stanley, it, it's weird, right? Usually, I mean, fast forward, you know, or, or flashback 10 years ago, the guys are leaving. It meant that they were a lottery pick. I feel like in this case, cash will probably be in the second round, but he could end up in a great situation. I think that is where this uh, analysis that you're that you were talking about, Sam, with his dad being so connected with NBA circles and Coach K being so connected, that 
landing it in the second round in a good in a good situation could still be just as good as being in the first round in a less you know comfortable situation where he's dipping back and forth from the G League. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Uh, Jason, why don't you bring it home for us? I, I actually I think he's probably going to spend a fair bit of time in the G League next year. There's nothing wrong with that um, because teams are going to want him to get. Uh, a little more experience, a little more playing time. And I'm not sure he's going to get a ton of playing time in the NBA right away. There there are some skills he brings, and certainly he brings athleticism that that will be uh, NBA ready. But but he he needs some seasoning. Nothing wrong with that. There, that that's not a there, – there are plenty, plenty of guys who go to the NBA who who are in those shoes. From the standpoint of, of Duke, uh, you know, if you look back at Duke's stats from last year – this is the guy who played the second most minutes of anybody on the team. This is the team's second leading rebounder. Um, he was, you know, other than the, a short of short period of time when he was injured and and his minutes and, and production dipped a little bit, this was a guy who was, you know, really consistently uh, a, a really solid performer for this team. I, I would say unquestionably right behind Trey Jones and Vernon Carey. I thought he was the third best player on the team, and I don't think it's at all controversial to, to say that about him. Um, and and similar, we're going to miss... Yeah. Similar, perhaps, Jason, to to recent Duke one-and-done players like Gary Trent Jr., or had we not won the national championship in 2015, Justice Winslow. Guys who yes. were yeah. very productive, not the stars on the team, but Trent and Winslow both could be good NBA comps for Stanley someday and both having, you know real good professional careers. Yeah. And, and I don't blame him at all for going pro. He he's in a good spot. He got good advice from his father and other people uh, about the situation. Um, and you know, I, I'm going to, boy, we're going to miss seeing him on the fast break. God, he was just, uh, it, it was awe inspiring to watch him at times uh, and his elevation. Um, but you know, he, he leaves in, he leaves as a beloved Dookie. There's no question and, about that. And and, yeah. and I'll, I'll add finally, I got to talk to him a couple times uh, after games or, or at press availability and of, especially of the freshmen, but even among all the Duke players that we've spoken with over the years, seems like a pretty smart, introspective guy. So uh, look forward, hopefully to having him on the show sometime down the road when he's in the league. Athleticism and upside, two of the things that NBA teams covet the most and two of the things that he has in buckets. So best of luck, Cash. We will see you in the league and probably making someone else your poster. Finally, a couple weeks ago, we discussed Alex O'Connell's transfer out of the Duke program, and we now know where he will play. Uh, I believe it was Tuesday or Wednesday. I, I don't know what day it was uh, when he announced that he would be heading to Creighton to play for Greg McDermott and the Blue Jays. It was also reported that he's working hard to graduate early from Duke so that he would be classified as a graduate transfer and would then be eligible to play next year. Jason, I go to you. Is this a good landing spot for AOC? It's a good landing spot in that it's a very successful program. It, it To me, it's be very interesting if he is able to be immediate to graduate and be immediately eligible. He's not going to walk into a starting position. Uh, this Creighton team is absolutely loaded for next year. They, there's there's only one senior on the roster, uh, Kelvin Jones, who is a who is their big man. He's the only guy on the roster 
who 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 played you know even 25% of the minutes who is a senior who's expected to leave most of the other guys I don't think Tyshawn Alexander has declared for the NBA and I don't think he's going to uh the the rest of their roster are all sophomores and juniors and so Alex O'Connell's going to be walking into a situation where you know I can't really see at best I guess he he might be the sixth man probably the sixth or the seventh man on that team um, cause they are going to be really good, like preseason top five kind of good next year. If he does not graduate and if he has to put things off for another year, um, then he walks into a much better situation because they've got four, four of their five best players are all juniors, um, current juniors who next year would be seniors who will then graduate. Um, they have a couple good sophomores and, 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 and a, de- a decent freshman or two as well. So it's not like Creighton will suddenly be downhill, but, I actually think if, if Alex O'Connell wants to find a place where he's going to shine a bit, where he's going to have a large role, um, you know, a lot of us predicted, oh, he's going to go somewhere, uh, be a starter and average, you know, around 15 points per game. If he wants that kind of situation for himself, I think he's actually better waiting another year before he becomes eligible because next year at Creighton, um, I, I, you know, I don't see a, he'll have a large role. He won't have a starter role for sure on next year's Creighton team. Jason, I, I, I see the same thing that you do. And the only part of the story to me that doesn't make sense for O'Connell is the, is that he might be pursuing graduating now and being immediately eligible. We have heard from Duke teams in the past and, and certainly from other programs about the value of having these guys who are sitting out or who are redshirting for whatever reason, being the quote unquote practice squad. It's not, you don't have a formal practice squad in, in basketball the way you do in football, but you could imagine Alex O'Connell being a very valuable bench practice squad player for, like you mentioned, Tyshawn Alexander going up against in practice and having O'Connell doing all the, all, all the scouting of, of opposing point guards and shooting guards and small forwards. I think he'd be very well served to do that for a Creighton team next year that, as you said, is projected to be top 10, if not top five. And yeah. And then using that that graduate year as his as his year to shine on the court. And let's not forget, uh, obviously, we are in crazy times right now. Alex O'Connell is is almost certainly not going to be able to spend all summer getting to know Creighton and their system and his teammates and things like that. Uh, I think he's better off taking that year and beginning to get to know the program. That that red shirt year, if you will, that he spends is time that he would get to know the other guys on Creighton, get to know what kind of schemes they run, as opposed to it is entirely possible if he were to graduate over the summer from Duke and become immediately eligible, that he would arrive on the Creighton campus knowing nothing about any of these other guys. And I think it's to his disadvantage. It is way to his advantage. It's way better for him to take this year off and figure out what's going on, especially because of the times we're in and you can't figure it out in the off season because everyone is at home during the off season. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what he ends up doing. I mean, on the flip side, he now has all the time in the world to finish his schoolwork uh, and graduate. So maybe that is a motivation for him. We will see what happens for him, but obviously best of luck for him at Creighton next year or or the year after whenever he ends up uh, beginning to play his final season of eligibility coming up we have an exclusive interview with one of the all-time great duke players and we have a little fun we're going to talk about mike gundy's latest coronavirus rant but we will discuss all that in a minute after this break 
Well, guys, we teased it earlier, and now here it is. Over the weekend, we were able to sit down with a man who really needs no introduction. His number 23 is in the rafters at Cameron Indoor Stadium, and we got to talk to him about his career at Duke as a pro and now his new career as a budding coach. Make sure your rent is paid because here is an interview with the landlord, Sheldon Williams. And we are joined now by one of the legends of Duke basketball, a man who really needs no introduction except to be called by one name, the landlord. That's right. Sheldon Williams has joined us on the DBR podcast. Sheldon, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So we're going to first briefly start about your time in the NBA. We usually start about time at Duke, but uh, we have Jason here for a little bit. And Jason, why don't you kick us off with questions about him in the NBA? And and Sheldon, let me start with this. Um, tell folks what you're currently doing because it's connected to your NBA career. What are you involved in right now? Uh, right now, I'm assistant coach for College Park Skyhawks, which is the, the G League team for Atlanta Hawks. So I've been doing that for the past two years. Um, and now... Everybody's kind of in this quarantine phase. <laughs> yeah. Hey, t- tell us what, what tell us what your quarantine experience has been like so far. You know, uh, just talk about what what these crazy times having nothing to do with basketball. What what they've been like for you? I think folks are interested in hearing how others are experiencing this crisis. Honestly, uh, the first week I was over here purposely trying to clean up one room at a time in my place, whatever, just kind of give me something to do on a daily basis. But then after that week was over, I mean, I pretty much had everything clean. So I'm like, all right, what, what's, what's next? So I kind of uh, started a uh, a podcast a little bit uh, last week where I was like, you know what? Let me go ahead and just talk to former teammates and friends um, and kind of do IG Live uh, interviews, and, you know, things like that. Kind of get back into sports and basketball mode, you know, as much as I can since, you know, it's only so much, you know, old games that you can actually see on, on repeat. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm kind of tired of seeing the same thing over and over again, too. So just trying to keep myself, you know, occupied with different things. Uh, you know, we try to go outside the house and walk up and down the street a little bit just to get out the house a little bit. But honestly, it just the same as everybody else been kind of, you know, avoiding as best as they can to be try uh, not be uh, stir crazy or cabin fever. Oh, yeah. Oh, we know all about that. Hey, uh, talk a little bit about, let, let's go back to your time. I, 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 as I mentioned, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Atlanta Hawks. And uh, I, I've been watching the team for a long, long time. And um, I, you were drafted by the Hawks. Talk about the transition from college to the pros. Um, not, not, maybe didn't go as smooth as some thought it would for you, huh? Well, yeah. It's, it's, um, I went from being at an organization that was ran pretty pretty well um, from top to bottom, you know, a lot of communication. And then all of a sudden I go to Atlanta Hawks where I instantly became like the fourth oldest, oldest guy on the team um, just just right out of college. Uh, we had uh, the youngest team in the NBA at that time. And communication wasn't the same as it was when I was at Duke. You know, uh, the, the coach didn't talk to all the players like that, and which kind of baffled me because I was always built – uh, on a system where even in high school, you know, coaches always talk to the players, no matter if it's a star player or even the bottom players, always know right or wrong, they talk to the coaches, I mean, talk to the players. So it wasn't necessarily like that when uh, I came and joined Atlanta. Um, so that was kind of the biggest uh, difference from what I was used to to where, you know, I was, you know, becoming, which is a little bit odd because you think, you know, a professional ranks, 
it'll be more communication because of that. But Sheldon, Sheldon, I gotta, I gotta tell you, as a huge Hawks fan, hearing you dump on Billy Knight, the GM, and Mike Woodson, the coach, makes me happy because they were awful. <laughs> I, well, I'm I mean, thrilled to hear this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, it was more so. Uh, um, not, not to really dump on them, but it wasn't really uh, Billy Knight. It was, uh, it was more so the coach uh, for me. I didn't have a lot of uh, uh, communication going on with that. Uh, me and Billy Knight, we had a good relationship. It's just that with you know the coach and everything, it wasn't really necessarily like that. And then obviously uh, when I was in, in uh, with the Atlanta Hawks, Billy Knight and um, and Whitson had like a some kind of issue, or whatever. And then that happened um, during my time as well. So honestly, the whole timing of me coming here, it wasn't the it wasn't the right time, I guess. But I mean, I tried to make the uh, most of it as much as I could before I asked for a trade. And, and uh, Eventually, after your NBA career sort of was winding down, you played a little bit overseas. Uh, tell, talk a little bit about how that, you know, how how you worked that out and and what that was like. Yeah, so towards uh, I think it was like my seventh year, I believe. I uh, I played uh, in the NBA. I was with the New Jersey Nets right after that, uh, the year of the lockout, uh, the last year in New Jersey, and um, I had a chance to come back and play were a couple of teams uh, for a one-year deal. But when I got an offer overseas that was going to pay me more money and um, the teams were going to pay taxes, it was like a no-brainer at that point where you're trying to solidify more so the money than uh, they're playing the NBA. So I took that route and uh, played uh, one year in, over, uh, in Europe uh, for a EuroLeague team and then uh, found out about uh, China and played two years in China before I wound up uh, you know, hanging up. And talk a little bit about coaching. So, so you, past couple of years, you've gotten back into, um, back into the NBA. Uh, well, the G League, at least in in terms of coaching for the for the Hawks affiliate. What what are the things that you're able to that you think the perspective that you're able to give to those players? What are you able to give them the most in terms of advice? Yeah, I mean, um, I took a year off after I retired, and then I got into uh, scouting. So I was a West Coast scout for Brooklyn Nets for about three years. And I joined doing that, just getting back around a game. But it was more so names on papers and not really having a relationship with guys. So I wanted to go ahead and extend uh, and uh, go look into uh, coaching. And I had a, a chance to go back to Atlanta where, you know, things came full circle. And I was able to do that. And it's been good. I've been, I've been uh, coaching for the last two years, and it's been more so uh, – Relationship with guys where I'm working with, you know, the bigs, um, especially with the Atlanta uh, G League team. I've been working with the bigs a lot. And just kind of having myself able to go out there on the court with them, kind of, you know, mess around a little bit with them, uh, play a little one-on-one. Just, you know, it's more it's more personable for me to be with the guys versus just, uh, when I was doing the uh, scouting where it was just like no connection with guys. So I have a, a good time just being able to um, – pretty much show them what I've seen, what I see during the game, what I've been through. Uh, talk about, you know, obviously a lot of these guys are overseas too, so talk about my experiences overseas as well. So I'm able to pass down a lot of knowledge to these guys. Sheldon, this is Donald here, and it, we want to now go back to your time at Duke. Uh, you came to Duke in 2002. You were part of a huge, big heralded class. You had four McDonald's All-Americans as teammates and what did you expect out of that group? And, and really, who out of, you know, out of that group other than yourself impressed you the most? 
Well, yeah, we uh, we came in with six guys, uh, four of them, like you said, being a McDonald's All-American. It was just uh, a very exciting time because we had a lot of big plans. Obviously, uh, we didn't get a chance to win a, a championship when I was there, um, especially since our sophomore year was like, we felt like that was our year to do it uh, in 04. But it, it didn't work out for us. But I would say that we all had big um, big goals. We came in on campus with the, our class. And obviously, you know, uh, the person who you know impressed me the most was JJ. The way he shot the ball, uh, I never seen the guy who shot the ball as well as he did. Um, you know, coming into uh, college, and especially you know after college, you know, I still haven't seen a guy who can catch fire like that and can shoot from anywhere on the court, and it's just be an amazing thing. Yeah, and when you arrived at Duke, you obviously had a lot of great players that were already there. You had Chris Duhon, Casey Sanders, Dante Jones. Uh, I mean, even for big men, yeah, you had Nick Horvath. What did you learn from those guys? To, and, and really, as a freshman, how did you take their leadership and apply it to your game? Yeah, so those guys were uh, good uh, upperclassmen. They, um, they came in and was able to help us out with uh, camaraderie. Uh, they used to come in and pick us up from our uh, from our dorm, because uh, we had you know, fresh campus a little bit separated from everybody else, so we come in and pick us up from our dorm and take us to you know, different events uh, or team events or practices. We kind of build up uh, camaraderie like that, and just being able to kick these guys' brains throughout the se- uh, the season, where you know what we see on TV when we're in high school. Now we actually go in there and playing these you know top teams. It was just a uh, great, especially you know Chris Duhon does. He was the floor general of our team and leader of our team to actually tell us, like, you know, hey, this is how it was uh, when I came in as a freshman. Obviously, he came in on the already great Duke team and wanted to win it his freshman year. Um, his experiences from that role and how he was trying to get us to get back to that same uh, the same platform so we can actually you know, compete again for another championship. Yeah, and, and really just uh, we saw your game blossom over – over your four years, obviously you, you have a, a jersey in the rafters. Nobody wears number 23 ever again because of the accomplishments that you made. But you played for some amazing Duke teams. Which one was the best? And I'll, I will ask you this question and give you the caveat. I graduated in 2004. So your freshman and sophomore year are the two best answers. But we'll accept any answer that you may have. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, 04 was our best year. I mean, uh, we went and uh, – we had a already pretty much established team with just one young guy on the team, which was Blue Wall. It was freshman year, um, but so we had a, a team that's already kind of been through the fire a little bit um, after our, our big class, our freshman year, our six, our six people that came in. So we come in and um, we knew from the from the start that we going to the Final Four. That's how we had our mindset um, coming in uh, my sophomore year, and we wind up going up to Alaska, the Great American Shootout, and we wound up losing to Purdue in a championship game. We had a kind of like, you know, a big team meeting and, uh, you know, trying to make sure that we all on the same page and what our goals were. And I think we wound up winning like 20 straight games right after that. Um, we didn't lose again to like the the championship of HC tournament, I believe. Um, so it, that probably was my, my, my best team year that uh, we, we had been a part of. Uh, obviously, we went to the Final Four. It didn't go our way uh, in, uh, against UConn, but that was probably our best our best uh, year. Yeah, and speaking of that year, I, I, I was I was in the stands. That was my senior year, my final game. Uh, tell me, 
was Emeka Okafor fouling you as much as we thought he was? Because in my opinion, he should have fouled out maybe 12 minutes into the game. But instead, he's there to uh, really just, you know, destroy us in the second half and really just take this, steal this game away from us. Yeah, it's crazy because I wind up getting him a foul trouble in the first half and he doesn't pick up another foul the rest of the game. And he fouls out five or six of our bigs, which is crazy because he didn't. He doesn't pick up another foul, and all five or six of our bigs fouls out. And obviously, that kind of stings a little bit because we knew that that was really the championship game. I mean, uh, no, no, uh, no disrespect to uh, uh, Georgia Tech, but we had beat them already what, two or three times a year. So we knew what we had to do to beat them. It's just that we didn't have a chance to get to that point to even uh, to do it. But yeah, we knew that. Uh, UConn had all the buzz coming in, and they had a UConn and UConn women's team. And I knew that you know, we all knew that you know, coming in that they were trying to have uh, the first time having the men and women win, win at the same time. So we knew all that coming in. But yeah, I would say that it was a uh, it was some calls that wasn't really uh, wasn't called you know our way that actually wind up uh, going against us and helping UConn out too. All right, Sheldon, this is Sam. I want to transition a little bit from talking about your playing days to kind of your relationship with the program now and, and, and sort of what's going on at Duke these days. We talked, to, um, we talked to Chris Duhon the other day and asked him this question, and I'd like to get your perspective too about, um, you know, when you were in school, most of the guys, with, with a couple exceptions, but most of the guys who came in stayed for four years, even if they were you know, all Americans or, or setting records like you were. Um, everyone was everyone was staying in school. Um, nowadays, obviously, Duke gets all these great players who who leave after one year. Do you think that there's a um, a change that Mike Shashevsky made in the sort of recruiting and development program at Duke, or do you think it's more a function of of what's going on around him and him wanting to compete in the in the modern basketball era? Yeah, it was definitely a change. I mean, uh, for a while, as you saw the, you know, the teams before, it was probably about a handful of guys that actually left after the freshman year, um, and Coach K's uh, time at Duke, and then uh, I want to say after we had graduated in '06, he adapted, which makes Coach K a great uh, coach. He adapted to uh, basketball and the times, and we'll start uh, going after the guys that. He necessarily would not have gone after at first. And like I said, times have changed. And that would make Coach K uh, such a great coach. He can relate to a lot of different players in different time periods as well. And he went after guys that uh, was able to uh, come in and uh, be big-time factors right away. How nowadays do you stay in touch with the program? Have you ever participated in the K Academy? Do you come back for games? Who are, like, the guys you're you're still talking to from your time at, at school? Yeah, so uh, – it, it was hard to go back uh, when I played. Um, so recently, the last three, maybe four years, I've been uh, going back to the K Academy. Um, even if I'm maybe not able to go the whole time, I try to go uh, as much as I can. And uh, that's another way I try to, you know, stay, stay in touch with guys and the younger guys as well. Uh, especially now that I'm coaching, um, I have uh, my summers um, to my to myself a little bit more so than I did when I was playing. So, I'm able to go back and do that. Uh, I still talk to a lot of the guys, especially from my class. Um, I talk to uh, uh, the guys who are not in my class. Um, I talk to you know Daniel Ewing, uh, Chris Duhon. I talk to them. 
Um, I talked to uh, Booz a little bit. I talked to Elton Brand a little bit. I talked to uh, Corey McGarry a little bit from the, the you know past generations. But it's, it truly is a, is a brotherhood. So when we actually do see each other and see each other out, we do uh, stop and talk to each other or grab dinner or whatever case may be. So you've got uh, some of the, those names you mentioned are guys who are littered throughout the NBA in front offices, on coaching staffs. Um, so you're staying connected with uh, with all the guys who are still in the league, I guess. Right, right. I mean, uh, basketball world is still a small world. So like I say at some point you do come across each other uh, in some way, way, shape, or form where, uh, like I said, I was in the front office and I was scouting to with me, with me being on the coaching staff. You, you run into a lot of uh, guys. Um, at some point. So, like I said, basketball is a small world, so you, you'll see each other eventually. And uh, as as you're, you know, I assume you still watch the Duke games from wherever you're, wherever you are and keep keep a little bit of tabs on the guys who are currently in the program. I know that the, um, like we, we talked about, the recruiting philosophy has changed a little bit, perhaps, and the and guys don't stay as long now. Do you see any great big men uh, come through the program and get worried that anybody's going to break any of your any of your big records? Do you think you're pretty safe for now? Um, honestly, no. I never really had had that thought. I mean, um, even before more and more guys were coming out, one one done, I thought I had uh, uh, set enough uh, cushion for <laughs> uh, myself from other other players. But obviously, you know, records are meant to be broken, so I'm sure one day it's going to happen. Just right now, with the fact that uh, everybody's coming out after one or two years, you know, it makes my uh, my records a lot safer than uh, most most uh, other schools who have. You know, I'm I'm not sure because you and you and JJ Redick managed to set uh, some pretty incredible scoring and rebounding and block shots records uh, during your time at Duke. So, um, you know, don't don't count on those things uh, falling anytime soon. I'd say. Right, right, right. Well, hopefully, I keep my name up in the record books a little bit longer. Well, and and you stay in the rafters no matter what. So that's 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 got to be some solace, even if even if there is some big man who comes in behind you and and manages to catch you in in rebounds or block shots. Donald, did you have a question? Yeah, no. no I, I just wanted to. You touched on him being in the rafters. I I just have to know because some people come in with that that dream, that aspiration of being great and leaving with, a, with something like that did you anticipate or did you think when you came at duke that you would leave with your name and your jersey number in the rafters no not at all not even a, not even a chance um it was always told to us that you had to graduate and be a player of the year um those are two things that uh were told to everybody you know um you know coming to duke but like i said i never as a, a you know a kid coming from uh a small city in Oklahoma, Oklahoma, thinking that I was going to be, you know, in the Raptors. I never had that in my mind. Uh, when, be, when I became defensive player of the year, my junior year, that's the first time I had entertained that thought where I was able to, uh, you know, possibly be in the Raptors. And then I wound up being uh, back-to-back, you know, defensive player of the year, my junior and senior year. And uh, I got the call the year after I left that I was going to be, uh, put, you know, putting the Raptors. So it was never – going in to do that it was even a part of what I was trying to do. It just, you know, tells a testament of my hard work of, you know, getting better every year, every year I do. And then I was able to put myself in that position. And what was it like having a teammate who was, you know, on that same level as you, JJ Redick was the 
national player of the year, the same year that you were a national defensive player of the year. What was it like playing with a guy who was that, who was, you know, as effective on the court as you were? Oh, uh, it was, it was great. I mean, um, it just, uh, showed how, um, how great our one, two punch that we had going on in, in college. And I still think that we had one of the best, uh, one, two punches, uh, in college uh, basketball. And it's just a shame that we wasn't able to get back to the, the, the big stage and, you know, show that we actually can have a chance to win. But, you know, have a guy who was as, as uh, great as he was on offense and had me as uh, on defense, uh, it was just uh, a great a great situation for our team and, you know, really helped us out. All right. I want to finish up here with one last question. We ask this to every guest that comes on who is a former player. Um, tell us – and you can take this, you can make this funny, you can make this um, sort of serious and motivational. Uh, we just need to hear one really good Coach K story from your time at Duke, be it a great speech he gave. Some we, we, We've heard a lot about different funny demonstrations that he's done to fire up the team. So those those always hit well. But uh, one good Coach K story from your time at Duke. I mean, I still tell people the, this story all the time. I mean, uh, he was trying to get us into uh, – you know, having effort and energy, and um, we were—I think we had just lost a game. I can't, who, can't think who we lost to. We had just lost a game, and he was saying like how we're not playing um, like we wanted it. And you know, we was over here not fighting, not getting for loose balls and everything. And then this is what 2000, maybe maybe 2004, 2005. So about what, 16 years ago. Um, he's over here, he gets the ball, rolls on the floor, and he jumps and dives on the ball, and he's grabbing it, like, you know, you got to go after the loose ball, like, you're really hungry, like, you want it, and we kind of think, like, okay, well, how's he going to get back up? You know, that's how we kind of, our first thing is, uh, like, how's he going to get back up? Do we need to get back, you know, help him up and everything like that? But, you know, he's a guy that shows passion no matter what he does, and he's trying to tell, like, that 17, 18, 19, 20 years old kid that you can't have less passion than somebody his age and he actually shown that he wants it and that's something that he showed us uh time and time again so i say that's probably one of my, my my favorite stories about coach k and and that's a guy who doesn't have perfectly healthy hips so you know that if he's able to dive on the floor like that that you better be able to as well exactly 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 so he showed <laughs> that no matter what his ailment is he's still out on the floor uh really trying to get it and there's no way you can't you can't be the same way all right. Well, Sheldon Williams, we appreciate your time. Um, some some great stories from your time at Duke and afterwards. Uh, obviously, everybody's in a strange place right now with the with the isolation period. But hopefully, it ends soon and you get to get back to coaching and and get back to basketball. Um, you're obviously one of uh, the all time greats at Duke, and it was a pleasure having you. So thank you so much for coming on the show. No problem. Appreciate it. Thank you. Again, we want to thank Sheldon Williams for taking some time to speak with us. We enjoyed his thoughts on his career and love getting to hear about his thoughts on the brotherhood and some of the moments that defined his career in Duke Blue. And we are looking forward to seeing his coaching career take off. We know it's just getting started, and we will hear from him again down the road. But a reminder for all of you out there, the landlord is watching. Pay your rent. And to wrap up this episode, I, I, Sam, I'm going to let you take this. We have some words from Mike Gundy. He's a man. He's now well older than 40. 
but apparently he wants social distancing to end right now so he can get back to playing football. Yeah, I if you haven't heard it, we don't I don't know if we're going to play the whole audio here, but you can just take a quick Google search of Mike Gundy's commentary on coronavirus and I will say to everyone out there on behalf of the Duke Basketball Report, please disregard recommendations from Mike Gundy about your safety and the safety of your friends and family. Stay inside. By May 1st, we will not be having football practice. There will not be football practice at Oklahoma State. There will not be football practice at Duke. There will not be football practice anywhere in the United States. It was it was inane and silly and and I'm I'm glad that, you know, the the only talking about coronavirus that coach K has done in the last couple of weeks is an interview he did on his Sirius XM show with Dr. Fauci. So that that's the that's the good stuff. Listen to the experts and and please stay safe. Jason, did you have anything more on on Mike Gundy? Uh, he's such an idiot. Uh, <laughs> we are I'm the I'm the I'm the diplomatic one on the show here, I feel like. He's a fool and we as a society are imperiled by people who are not listening to the doctors and the health experts. That's just the honest to God truth. I, I don't want to get in. Uh, we're not going to get into a political thing here about whether or not the president should be standing up and delivering two hour press conferences about topics that he has no idea of what he's talking about. But please, can we please as a society just listen to the folks whose job it is to make us all healthy and keep us from dying? Because those people are giving us advice and people like Mike Gundy are not listening to it. Mike Gundy is an idiot. Don't listen to him. So I will I will jump on board here and I will tell you this. Look, Mike Gundy does not have a DR before his name. He does not have an MD or a PhD after his name. After his name reads football coach. And I promise you, if you go to your boss and you say that, Football, Mike Gundy, football coach, told you that May 1st we can go outside and we can go back to work and we can have football practice. I hope you get social distancely slapped in the face because this is real. I need everyone to understand that Mike Gundy was talking out of his ass and his thoughts should go right back where that where they came from. Stay at home. Don't be an idiot. Let let he can talk about football practice. And here's the thing, really, honestly, like. Even just putting his players at risk because he thinks, oh, they're young and they can get over it. That is exactly the type of stuff we are trying to avoid people understanding because really what people aren't looking for the right words. They're looking for the right words for them, the thing that will make them the least bit uncomfortable. So if someone says, hey, you can go to a park and someone says stay at home, they're going to go to the park because that is least – uh, intrusive on their lifestyle and these words don't help mike so i know you're a man i know you're at this point you're 50 sit your ass down somewhere and shut up that's all i have to say well put donald thank you amen and you know amen. what <laughs> you know what that's going to do it for this episode number 204 of the duke basketball report podcast hey guys next episode we may be keeping the interview train rolling with another former duke great and Another big, another, another big man. Another big man. We'll let it, We'll just let that ride. But we also will hope to dip into the mailbag to answer some of your questions. We've gotten some great questions already. Please be rest assured that we are not throwing them away. We are just waiting for the best time to bring those out. And it may be next episode. If you have a question, 
that you want us to discuss on the show, hit us up at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe to us at wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing while you're staying at home, leave us a review. It really helps, and we certainly appreciate it. But until next time, for Sam and for Jason, I am Donald. This is Duke Basketball Report Podcast number 204. Duke Band, take us home. Pay your rent.